Welcome to Cinema Smash, I'm Luke. You might be wondering, where is Jake? Don't worry, he's still alive. We're doing a few solo episodes now as well. This is mostly because, well, there are some relevant shows or other updates here and there, and we can't all watch everything at the same time. Therefore, we've decided to kind of divide some of the material between the two of us to give a more in-depth look at the material. This episode, I will be talking about Castlevania Season 4, also the final season of the show, and I'll be talking about the Netflix animated show Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Without any further ado, let's jump right into it. Here I'll be talking about Castlevania Season 4. So, where do we find all our key players? We still have Camilla, Striga, Lenore and Morana, uh, with a captured Hector back in Syria, who are organizing their full-out war on humanity. There we have Isaac, who is building his night creature army, ready to attack humanity for the murder of Dracula. We have Alucard, who has gone a bit mad at the end of season three, following in the footsteps of his father with uh, putting people on spikes outside of his castle. Now we have Trevor and Cypher back on the road again after defeating an evil night creature and mad monks after they tried to open a portal to hell to resurrect Dracula. In the beginning of season four, just like I said, Belmont, Trevor Belmont and Cypher continue to battle uh, creatures who are still loyal to Dracula, even though he's dead. And they're getting quite annoyed by it because they defeated him two seasons ago. And they feel like they will have to continue fighting these creatures to stop him from being resurrected. Uh, Alucard, who is still alone in the castle, is still going quite mad. Uh, receives a guest, and the guest being a dead guy on a horse carrying a note from the people of Dynasty. They need help. They've been attacked by creatures. When we move over to Styria, we have one of the vampire sisters of the Nor asking Hector, the Forge Master, not to test Camilla's patience. Camilla is kind of like the main strategist of the vampire sisters, the council of Styria, so to say. Belmont and Saifar are taking refuge in Targoviste, the city where all of it began, where Dracula's wife was first burned at stake back in season one. And then later on we learn that Isaac, who has his magic mirror, has been in contact with Varni. Varni is a vampire general. Uh, he is an only little git at that as well. But there's more to him than the eye tells you at the beginning. With the vampires, Morana and Sriga, of the uh, Sirius sisters, who get an urgent message from Camilla to start the war, and Trevor and Saifa get a better look at Targoviste. Later on, we have Alucard arriving in uh, Dynasty, the village that asks for his help. He finds that majority of the people there are, they can't defend themselves, they'll just get killed every day further and further until no one is left. Uh, this is where we also meet Saint-Germain. We left him at the end of Season 3, where he locked himself into the Infinite Corridor to look for his lost love. So we first don't know why he's there, but we have an entire episode devoted to him. So that's pretty great. We learn some of the backstory about him, his actually kind of evil intentions, and his experiences in the Infinite Corridor. Here in uh, Dynasty, Alucard kind of returns to his humanity a little bit with the help of Greta, who is kind of like a town leader. And back 
with Trevor and Cypher, there's a, quite a discussion about how to rule Targoviste, which uh, puts our main characters into some conflict, but they're used to conflict after these four seasons, not going to lie. Well, further away, of course, we have Isaac rebuilding his night creature army after uh, losing a lot of forces attacking the mad wizard, but his army has grown to a considerable size again where even his soldiers are asking what they are fighting for. Again, even though they're real, rebuilding a city, they're not creatures, they're not meant for that. He kind of changes his plan. It is no longer the destruction of the entirety of humanity that uh, he argues for. No, he changes his plan to conquest, not just murder, conquest. I don't know how, how that's any better, but who knows? His first uh, intention is uh, to attack Styria, primarily kill Camilla, because she had a major hand in the death and downfall of Dracula back in Season 2. We have a very gigantic uh, well, video game-like battle, which, in my opinion, was pretty fun. It was really closely tied to the... Um, to the games in general, it was really uh, like even a force field around the battlefield, so you can't escape, stuff like that. It's very it's very video gamey. Well, Carmilla is quite the foe. She's proven that throughout all the seasons we've seen her in, and even in the final battle where she's fighting against uh, Isaac, it's clearly showing that uh, uh, she is very strong. She does get killed in the end, but... Damn, it's a great fight. Throughout the season, there are a lot of battles between the vampires and the main characters, eventually even ending up with Alucard, who had taken the people from Dynasty to his castle to look after them, also being attacked by the vampires. At the last moment, it is that Trevor and Cypher join Alucard through portal magic uh, to help him uh, to defend the castle, while Saint-Germain is upstairs trying to resurrect Dracula because he aims to gain control over the infinite corridor to find his lost love again. So yeah, what I really liked about uh, the last few episodes, it's very, look. it looks a lot back at what happened before. We had a main trio of the first two seasons back together again, back in Dracula's castle, um, fighting against hordes of night creatures. Well, looking back at Varney, he always looked like a little git in the entire season, but uh, what we ended up to find out, which was a pretty good plot twist in my opinion, because you're not really sure how a little uh, arrogant vampire can structure uh, the entire resurrection of Dracula himself. But he reveals himself to be one of the oldest vampires who ever walked the earth, uh, who had taken the identity of death. At first, I have to say his character design is great. He's just a gigantic skeleton uh, zombie kind of creature. It's just a very aesthetically pleasing character portrayal of someone you would really envision as death personified. Uh, at the end of the season, almost end of the season, uh, it's very bittersweet in a way. We first think we see Trevor sacrificing his life to, uh, to kill death. It works, but at the end of the ninth episode out of the ten, we think Trevor has died fighting death. Um... Hector, one of the Forge Masters in Styria, he's been left alive by Isaac. He got the castle as a present from Isaac, even with one of the vampire sisters, Lenore. 
he thinks it's the perfect life. She doesn't agree. At the end of uh, the show, she steps outside and you know what happens to vampires when they meet the sun. No, they don't sparkle, no, they turn to dust. So yeah, she's not content to live in a cage, even though Hector doesn't see it that way. So she chooses a fate for herself, which was pretty interesting in my opinion. Alucard opens his castle up again for the people of Dynasty. He's even gotten quite close again with uh, Greta, the, the leading woman from Tenesti. Uh, and they're even starting a new village right there at the castle between the strongholds of the Belmont family mansion and Dracula's castle. Uh, Saifa, who is revealed to be pregnant, uh, reminisces about what she might do now that she thinks Trevor is dead. Uh, but turns out he isn't dead, which, uh, in my opinion, was kind of sad i would say you don't expect you wouldn't like that to happen really it's a bittersweet ending uh you know it's the end of a show with a maiden trio you would expect at least one of them maybe to give their lives uh you know to defeat the evil once and for all uh, i would have seen online people were arguing that the the season finale was a bit too happy and i agree with that to a certain extent at least uh, it was very rose-colored, bittersweet endings. Uh, even Cypher says, we have finally won, which makes you think, like, bit on the nose, but okay. But it's still a pretty good show. It's a pretty good ending for a show. I remember just binging the entire season in one go. So I would say eight and a half out of 10, just for a season on its own. Yeah, they're, they were able to increase the threats and danger in every season so far. So yeah, it's a pretty good end to the story. And I've heard rumors that there will be some spin-offs, but we'll have to see about those, I guess. Overall, I really like the show. I really like the season. But yeah, I really love the animation style. I really love the, the characters, the story, the mythology behind everything. I never played the games. <laughs> Maybe I should sometime in the near future. Um, yeah, can't wait for what follows in this universe. Let me move over to uh, our second point of this episode which is Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. It is a Netflix animated show uh, loosely based on, well, of course, the novels of Michael Crichton, Jurassic Park. The show takes place between Jurassic World, released in 2015, and in season three, we see some events play out of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which was released in 2019. Before we go into the plotline, it was the director of the new Jurassic World movie, Colin Trevorrow, who has said that the events of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous TV show will play into the storyline that we'll be, we will be seeing in the new Jurassic World movie. When I first started watching it, or when I first heard about the show in general, I was quite skeptic because it is still aimed at a younger audience and, uh, well, I'm, I definitely don't qualify as part of the younger audience. Uh, right now because I think the the show is aimed uh, at ages nine years and older and I think you could say the original Jurassic Park movie was 12 plus I think but I'm not really sure about that yeah it's a bit more what I felt like about the newest Jurassic uh, movies they're a bit too much focused on children and merchandising which makes it a little less uh, enjoyable for the audio older audiences maybe it's yeah they dumbed it down which is really sad because the original movie has some great discussions uh i feel like this tv show walks the line between the two it has a lot of horror elements that we also see 
in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It also has some dumb, cliche character moments like we also see in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. But uh, it is a pretty enjoyable show still. For the show in general, we follow five kids who are uh, selected to go on kind of like a summer camp uh, type of event at Jurassic World while it was still in function. Uh, this is also near the end of the Jurassic World movies, like where the camp breaks down and is being evacuated. We have five kids. The first one is Darius. He's kind of like an audience stand-in. He's the dino nerd, knows everything about it. He fits right at home. Now we have Kenji. Uh, he is there because I think they had to do something with his dad. Like his dad definitely has a penthouse on the island. Uh, it's kind of like the rich kid. Now we have Sammy, who is from a farm in Texas, I think, who's also at the island. And later in the first season, we learn that she's been sent there to spy on Masrani Corporation or InGen before that. And we have Brooke, who is a vlogger. She has to do with uh, public relations, press release, just influencer type person. She's pretty annoying in the beginning, but she, she becomes one of the favorites in the end, not gonna lie. And then we have two more characters. We have Yasmina, who is kind of like an athletic girl. Um... Yeah, most of these characters are quite one note. Like you have Brooke, who is a vlogger, Sammy, farm girl, Darius, dino nerd, Ben is, uh, well, afraid of almost everything. So the majority of these characters are very one note. It gets pretty annoying sometimes, but that's why it's a kid show. You can't make people too complicated for kid shows. In the first season, you hear some shit about um, the first Jurassic World movie, you see the Indominus Rex. And the first season actually ends with the kids being left on the island. They're there uh, alone. They've not been evacuated. So that's where the first season ends. In the second season, you kind of see how they're surviving. Uh, in the third season, they try to get off the island uh, in the first episode, but their raft breaks down, so they're still stranded on the island. There were some creepy uh, scenes in the second season, which showed that there was uh, a weird hybrid project made by Dr. Wu uh, called E750. Uh, E750 was a genetic uh, hybrid dinosaur that was put in hibernation because it was too unstable and aggressive to survive. And it makes you wonder with the Indominus Rex and the Indoraptor being released to the public, what made the Scorpius Rex so terrifying or the E750, which we later learned to be the Scorpius Rex so terrifying to put it in cryosleep. During a uh, generator malfunction at the end of the second season, the E750 or Scorpius Rex breaks out. So that's where we find our characters in the third season. They're stranded on the island once again. Uh, they're noticing some very weird behavior with all the dinosaurs, including herbivores as well, uh, which we later learned uh, to be because of the Scorpius Rex. He's disrupting the national, the natural process, kind of like in the on the island. The season has 10 episodes. I feel like the last two episodes were not needed, really. Uh, because, well, where they end at episode 8 is the exact uh, place they end in episode 10. Only with a bit more tie-in to the Jurassic World movies. So a part of me likes that connection that they made in those episodes. But they were also a bit too much. They weren't needed, really, for me. Scorpius Rex, it's kind of like the predecessor even of the Indominus Rex. So the Indominus Rex wasn't the first hybrid, it was the Scorpius Rex. The thing that made the Scorpius Rex even more dangerous was uh, because it had scorpion fish DNA, uh, it had poisonous quills. 
Uh, we even see one of the kids being uh, poisoned pretty badly by one of those quills that the creature can shoot from his tail, uh, for which they finally find an antidote. So, uh, yeah, that might have made it too dangerous. Uh, so the whole season basically revolves around the kids escaping from the uh, Scorpius Rex. And there are some great tie-ins to the movie. You have Blue, the last remaining Velociraptor from Jurassic World movies. Uh, we finally visit the original Visitor Center again from the original Jurassic Park, uh, where the final battle against the Scorpius Rex also takes place with Blue, the Velociraptor there as well. It's a lot of fan service, I feel. It's a lot of looking back, both at the movies and the show in general. And like I said, uh, the last two episodes are a lot of tie-ins to the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom opening. One taking place in the storm at the island, which was, in my opinion, the only like good, like generally good part about the Fallen Kingdom movie was the cold open, which they recreated pretty well uh, for his animated show. I would say. So yeah, that was pretty fun. At the end of the season, they still, uh, you know, escape the island on the boat of one of the hunters they met in the last season because the hunter is dead, but there is something hiding on the boat uh, and we don't know what it is. So it could be anything really, but we'll have to find out, I guess, next season. And I'm really just curious to see how the, the show or the next season might tie into the next Jurassic World Dominion movie because... We've had a um, a small movie. We had a short film on the Jurassic World YouTube called The Battle at Big Rock, I think, uh, which showed regular people living amongst the dinosaurs or being attacked by dinosaurs in a camp. There are theories that the kids have a broken compass and it is therefore heading to Isla Sorna, or Side B, as the island we've seen in Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, and Jurassic Park 3 with the Spinosaurus. I would really love to see the Spinosaurus make a re-entry. We know uh, the creature was present on Jurassic World. It was on the map of the original theme park. There was a concept art of the dinosaur having to appear in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It sadly did not. It is one of my favorite dinosaurs, uh, at least of the franchise, besides Rexy. I would love to see it again. General thoughts uh, uh, left on the season. Pretty bingeable. I think I binged it in either one or two goes. Uh, had a small break in between, maybe. Um, it is marketed as a kid show, so don't expect heavy philosophical debates about life and biology and history like that. But uh, yeah, if you like Jurassic franchise, if you like dinosaurs, definitely give it a watch. It's worth it. That has been my discussion on both Castlevania Season 4 and Camp Cretaceous. Uh, let me know on the Instagram. Uh, what other shows uh, you want me or Jake to discuss, or just with the two of us in general. If you like it, don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. Share it if you really like it, of course. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one.